Hi, I'm Sylvain Berthelot and you're listening to On One Condition, a podcast to raise awareness about health conditions by listening to people who live them every day. Today, my guest is Liz Ferguson, and we're going to talk about narcolepsy. Hi, Liz. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thanks, Sylvain. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining. Um, so as we always do, we start by a song. So what song have you chosen and why? Uh, I've chosen Muse, Time is Running Out, and it's mainly because this is a song that I love to sort of get me up and going. So when I'm flagging, put this on full volume and, uh, yeah, gives me energy. Okay, so an energetic song. Is it one you dance to or is it more like... <laughs> I, I sing along, but I'm not going to I'm not going to hear. And uh, I have seen Muse in concert a couple of times and it's, it's, they're amazing live. Yeah, I've heard that their shows are incredible. Uh, so we're talking about narcolepsy, and it's interesting. Uh, I've mentioned it to a couple of my uh, friends, and the reaction is, "Oh, narcolepsy!" And I don't get—I I don't really know why there's this reaction. Uh, is it something that you get when you uh, when you share uh, your condition with people? Not necessarily, but I think it's because a lot of people associate narcolepsy with the extreme version, where you just literally fall asleep in the middle of a conversation. Mm -hmm. But you know, narcolepsy, like any condition, has has a sort of like a scale, and I'm lucky in that I'm not at the extreme end so so i think sort of people always associate narcolepsy with with totally unable to be out to control being awake mm -hmm. whereas it's sort of um like i say it's got it's got gradients in terms of how severe the impact is okay and um, I'm, i'm sure we'll go into that uh, so how did you realize that you have this condition well it's, it's quite a long story really i i it started when i was doing my a levels Okay. And I was falling asleep in class and um, I was living at home at the time and my mother knew that I was getting enough sleep. So took me to the doctor and I was prescribed some medication at the time. Worked brilliantly, but I, I really didn't want to be medicated all the time. Yeah. So so sort of once I'd finished my A-levels, stopped taking the medication. And, and for years, I've just assumed that I'm lazy or low metabolism. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I seem to have less energy than other people. But then about um, four years ago, I went on holiday and I caught um, some kind of, uh, I think it was uh, adenovirus. And, and that seemed to, to trigger it even more. Okay. And I had a couple of episodes of what they call cataplexy, which is where you faint, but you're still conscious. Your, your muscles just literally stop working other than the core muscles that manage your breathing. Okay. Um, and and that was what really alerted me that there was something more than just being low energy. Yeah. But it, it took a year with my doctor to actually get a diagnosis because it's always uh, let's eliminate the most likely before we get to the unlikely. Mm -hmm. And narcolepsy, they think it's in about one in 40,000 people. Okay. It, it's likely to be 10 times more because of the difficulty in diagnosing and um, the average time from when you when you start narcolepsy to being diagnosed is 10 years for me it was nearer 40 
Wow, okay, yeah. So is it something that you've had all your life or do you think it's something that came at some point? I, I think it came um, in sort of my teen years and it is okay. something which can be affected by hormonal changes. So I'd, I'd say that really I've been dealing with it since I was about 16, 17. Mm-hmm. But, um, but there are times in certain conditions which which exacerbate it. And, and that's what happened in my late 40s, early 50s. Yeah. So it's that virus that exacerbated it. Yes. Yeah. And so you mentioned um, those fainting events, which sound relatively odd uh, if you're still conscious. Can you describe a bit more what it's like? Well, I I was feeling a bit sort of dizzy, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll go and lie down. And I got up and started to walk out of the room. And literally, before I even got out of the room, I just dropped to the floor. It, it was really weird. The, you know, you just, it was like the strings were cut. Okay. Uh, my husband was there. And within probably about 15 seconds, you're able to move again. Or certainly that's what happened to me. It tends to be fairly short-lived. But obviously, it's, it's quite a, a worrying experience when you don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I can imagine. But how is that is that linked to narcolepsy then? Well, there's there's three different types of narcolepsy. One is narcolepsy with cataplexy. Mm-hmm. One is narcolepsy without, and then the third is where it's been triggered by some kind of uh, physical injury, um, and it's all to do with the hypothalamus. So, n- normal people, the hypothalamus um, secretes hypocretin, and that helps to to manage your your sleep cycles, mm-hmm. whereas with um, with people with narcolepsy, there's there's either very little hypocretin or it, there's something in your body which is attacking it. So okay. narcolepsy is actually classed as a, an autoimmune disease, which really? I, yeah, I didn't know that until I started <laughs> doing some research for this podcast, and it, it certainly yeah. made made a lot more sense. And so they can actually physically test for the presence of hypocretin. But they also test through um, observing sleep patterns. Okay, is that the kind of test that you did? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So you're you're monitored while you're sleeping, and your brain activity is monitored to see whether you're in what they call REM sleep, which is mm-hmm. when you're dreaming, or non-REM, which is the the restful part of sleep where you're recharging. Um, and most normal people they go into non-REM sleep for you know, at least 90 minutes and you, you have the dreams in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're narcoleptic, the dreams start before you even go to sleep. So you go straight into REM sleep and um, you get very little non-REM sleep, which is when you'd, you'd actually be able to recharge properly. I see. So your brain when you sleep is kind of always active Pretty much, that, yes. Yeah, okay. there, there are very short periods of non-REM, but um, nowhere near the sort of like the 90-minute phases that, uh, that somebody without narcolepsy gets. So then that means that narcolepsy is, is well, the reason why you tend to fall asleep uh, during the day is that you don't get enough restful sleep during the night. Is that right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, uh, and normally your brain will... will sort of monitor your sleep patterns will help you have the right sleep at night but also stop you from 
falling asleep during the day. Mm-hmm. But narcoleptics, they, their brains don't manage that, uh, that sleep-wake cycle properly. So yes, it's, it's generally down to lack of sleep. And I, I can tell when I've had a more busy night dream-wise, you, know, you wake up and, and feel just tired already. Oh, yeah. Wow. And does that mean that you remember your dreams more or not? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Really? Yes. I, I used to um, make an effort to remember them because, they're, you know, some of them are very weird. But, um, but if you don't make that effort, you soon forget. But I, I know I dream in color. I know I, I hear music in my dreams. And a lot of people just sort of, if you ask them, they go, oh, I don't know. I don't think so. But. Yeah, I'm far far more aware of what I've been dreaming about. Yeah. And so thinking about sleep then, I've been, sometimes I remember nights where you are conscious that you're asleep almost. Yeah. Is that the how you feel when you're sleeping? Do you have like kind of consciousness that you're asleep? Yes. Um, I mean, one of the other common uh, symptoms of narcolepsy is is sort of what they call conscious dreams. So you know you're awake, but you're dreaming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they also call them hypergognic hallucinations. Uh, some people, that's visual. With me, it tends to be more auditory. So I'll hear things, quite often hear people talking. Um, but I, I know that it's it's in my head. Um, I mean, it helps having a dog because if I hear something and the dog doesn't react, then I know it wasn't real. But mm-hmm. um, but you can you can generally tell that it's that it's sort of dreaming as opposed to reality. Well, so you must be in a constant feeling of tiredness, then. Yes. Well, that's that is generally what it's like. Although once yeah. I was finally diagnosed. Um, they did then find medication, which really helps with that. Um, okay. There isn't any cure for narcolepsy, mm-hmm. but you can manage the symptoms. Um, before I was diagnosed, it was lots and lots of caffeine. Yeah. But, um, mm. but you know, there, there's medication on the market, various different types that, that help to keep you awake and help to sort of like block that, that falling into sleep during the day. Okay, so the medication doesn't actually make you sleep better, but it's more of uh, addressing the the risk of falling asleep during. Yes, the day. exactly. Yeah. Uh, how long have you been on the medication for? Um, that would be about three years now. Okay, and have you noticed a difference? Oh, huge difference! Yes, I feel I feel more normal, and um, you know that that's been amazing. You know, rather than thinking that it's something, you know, that, that I've got low energy, it's actually sort of helped me reset and, and manage the condition a lot better. Okay. And is the lack of sleep affecting you in any other way? Because sleep is, is like not only for resting, but also it helps with uh, like your body uh, regenerating cells and so on. So do you notice any other impact? Um, no, I'm, I'm relatively lucky. The, um, I mean, generally speaking, narcoleptics have a, a higher fatality rate or likelihood of fatality, and that's mainly around okay. your heart problems, blood pressure, and sort of all of the things that, you know, maintain the body health. Mm-hmm. But um, but I, I'm quite 
I'm quite lucky in that respect. Um, I haven't really noticed anything significantly. It's more just the the feeling tired, and and that affects me more outside of work than in work because you know, particularly in the evenings, that's later in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but work wise, yeah, it, it's it's not too bad, and I, I've not really noticed too much else in terms of the physical load that that puts on me. Okay. You were talking about medication earlier when you were doing your A-levels. Was that a similar medication to what you're on at the moment or not? Yes, yes, yeah. it, it was. And that, that was sort of something that that really made me start thinking about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I had been prescribed medication that worked. So so why was that? You know, and um, yeah, it's uh, it, like I say, it's made a huge difference. But at the time you thought that it was maybe linked, because you didn't stay on the medication, did you? No. No. Is it no. because you, you thought it was something else? Well, I, it was just really a reluctance to be taking what I saw as being quite sort of heavy drugs. Um, okay. I mean, it's amphetamine based. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. And, uh, you know, and there's that, that association with the, the illegal use of amphetamines. So it's mm-hmm. sort of, well, you know, in my mind, it was almost, well, taking the medication it long term wouldn't be good for me and yeah. it was i saw it more as a way to to get me through completing my a levels mm-hmm. um and you know I, I i mean i'm not quite the same now uh if i have a headache i'll take a headache tablet whereas when i was younger it was you know i really tried very hard not to to use any medication okay it's interesting the like the fact that it's amphetamine based and there's so much um concerns about using medication that's based on a substance that's illegal outside of it yeah. or that could really have a, a negative impact on your perceptions but at the same time i think there's more and more studies on those types of medications like in in doses that can be managed well yeah. but i don't know if we'll get like move away from the stigma of of the the substance itself yeah, and, and um, a lot of, I mean, originally they, they tried modafinil, which is, um, which is uh, slightly different and it's more about managing the, um, the, the hormones and, and the way that you react to them. But um, I've also got mild asthma and, and that aggravates asthma. So, they, okay. you know, they have developed medications to replace the amphetamines, whereas 30, 40 years ago, that was the go-to option to to treat narcolepsy do you have any side effects from the medication you're taking now no 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 and and i think sort of maybe that's one of the things that helped me realize that medication isn't necessarily bad Mm -hmm. um you know the fact that it it resolves the issues that i have but i'm not getting any uh side effects from that has given me confidence that it's the right thing to be taking yeah yeah is it something you can carry on taking long term or yes can it fade off at some point no it's it's fairly con- it is fairly consistent um you know and and um they they manage the dosage you build up to a certain point and then they go right you know that's that's where you need to be but um i've not noticed any fall off in the effectiveness or any there's not been any need to to uh review the dosage okay uh, you were talking about uh, work earlier. 
Um, how do you manage work knowing that like, you could fall asleep at some point? Um, well, I, it could be said that I can be quite annoying because okay. uh, <laughs> because in meetings, I, I, I tend to stay very involved in the conversation. Um, if I'm actively involved, I don't fall asleep. It's, it's when I'm not actively involved that, that I just switch off. So, and the other thing that I developed, sort of, and this came from university and I've, I've carried it through, is I take copious notes in meetings. So it's sort of keeping me engaged. Um, and it's also very, it's, it's turned out to be very useful because, you know, obviously you've got a record of, of what you've done, what you've heard. But, um, but yes, it's sort of staying actively involved. You won't find me sort of um, quietly sort of in the corner because if I am, I'd, I'd be asleep. <laughs> Uh, and it, it's difficult to understand how like you, you can get to a situation where you you would fall asleep without being able to counteract it. But is it something that physically you can't control? Or would you be able to, for example, feel like you're about to fall asleep and stand up to like keep you, yourself yeah, awake? Yeah, and, and certainly that is another way of dealing with it because you can feel it, you can feel it coming on. Mm-hmm. But um, but if if you're in a situation where you can't get up and move about, then the, there's uh, you know it just takes over. But um, yeah. but yeah, if you can get up, move about, or you know anything which is sort of changing the um, the level of activity, that tends to to overcome the need to to fall asleep. Okay. So sitting and listening to a lecture uh, or like doing training, for example, online training, is that something that's more difficult for you to do? Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and um, lectures in particular. I mean, although I, I wasn't uh, taking any medication when I was at university, I, I was actually asked to, to leave one of the courses because I was bad for morale because I kept on falling asleep. Really? It's like, well, you know, not something I can control, but um, mm-hmm. but yes, it's it's definitely in those sort of sitting and listening kind of situations where where it affects me more. Yeah. Okay. How does it impact you in terms of your daily life? Uh, are there any tasks that you can't do because of it? No. No. no I, I I think it's sort of for me. It's always been more about um managing it and and um minimizing any impact mm-hmm. but uh i wouldn't say that there's anything that i found that i can't do um other than i can't work excessive you know extremely excessive hours on a regular basis yeah. you know that that's the main thing is sort of um i can't easily recharge so some people they can you know be full on for a couple of days get a good night's sleep and they're back to to sort of like reset whereas for me it takes a lot longer okay even driving is that something you can do driving is something i can do yes okay. and um again there's there's a range of narcolepsy and the most common measure is the epsworth sleep uh, sleepiness scale and um on that scale naught to 12 is normal Above 12 is narcoleptic, so 13 to 24 is narcoleptic. Mm-hmm. I'm at 15. If I was okay. 16 or above, I wouldn't be allowed to drive. Oh, okay. Wow. So if I'm a passenger, I fall asleep, you know, literally a 10, 15 minute journey, I'll, I will be asleep. But, oh, uh, okay. but when I'm driving, because I'm actively involved, 
and and that's never been an issue and that's been checked out by uh by the doctor um at at uh, Derriford hospital and so it's sort of well you're fine to drive but but if you were any any sort of more um or higher up the scale then i wouldn't be able to is there any risk of you of of the condition evolving to uh, uh like worse point where you wouldn't be able to try that no i well no. i hope not and um and it t- you tend to sort of unless there's other things that then exacerbate you tend to sort of stay at about the same level um but um but i am very aware of that and one thing that i do to manage that is i, I tend to try to avoid very long motorway journeys uh, so it's yeah. sort of like again it's the monotony mm-hmm. whereas um you know on going on back roads or sort of being able to break up the journey um just helps to manage that kind of tendency okay well that's something that then yeah you have to manage your your journey almost. yes yeah okay. yeah and I'm, and I'm a lot more aware maybe than some people in terms of you know if I'm traveling then I need to make sure that it's not you know sort of when I've been working for a long day you know mm-hmm. I, I do tend to sort of plan travel around when I know that it it's not going to be difficult for me yeah what about train journeys is that like are you at risk of missing your stop because of it um no because i set an alarm but but yes uh train journeys in particular it's like that's you know i'm always falling asleep i'm the embarrassing person who wakes himself up with a with a snore okay (laughs) it's interesting how like with such conditions you realize that you can adapt and, and work yeah. around it. Yeah, how, how you found ways of working with the condition rather than, than making it overtake what you do. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Have you got any, like, network of people with narcolepsy? Like, is it something that you, you talk about with others? Um, I, I do talk about it with others more to raise awareness than anything else. Okay. Um, but I, I, yes, I'm not part of any kind of um, community of, uh, mm-hmm. of narcoleptics. And uh, I mean, really, that's something that, that I hadn't considered uh, because it's, it's, you know, assumed to be fairly rare. If it is, you know, one in 20 to 40,000, the chances of coming, you know, coming across somebody else is mm-hmm. is relatively rare. But like I say, they they do think that it's the actual incidence is ten times higher. Um, so so I talk about it to raise awareness so that people are aware, you know, perhaps it is something that affects them. Um, yeah. But they're but they're just you know like I was assuming that it was um, you know something to do with metabolism or I'm just lower energy and um, and narcolepsy has for a long time had the kind of stigma that okay. narcoleptics are lazy, that it's yeah. being lazy, it's not a physical condition. So you know, I think the research and the fact that it can be um, you know, accurately diagnosed has, has helped a lot with the understanding, but it's not something you hear about very often. So, so that's why I share about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very good to, to share because I, I always think that um, 
like when you were doing your A levels, for example, if you had had more information about it, maybe it would have made it easier for you to be, to get diagnosed at that point, or yeah. it might have triggered uh, a visit to the doctors that yeah would have led to a diagnosis. Yes, and it's amazing, really, that my doctor back all that time ago straight away diagnosed something which which managed the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas more recently, when I went to see my doctor, it was. I was run through so many different tests and you know, I had to be uh, evaluated for whether it was clinical depression. And all the way through, I was saying, you know, I know that uh, I know that I'm not depressed. I know mm-hmm. that sort of like, you know, I have done research and but but it's still that reluctance to to go straight to narcolepsy. It's, um, you know, it was very frustrating I mean, for it to take more than a year to be diagnosed from when I first saw the doctor and started the testing but um but on the other hand i suppose at least we got an accurate diagnosis in the end yeah unfortunately that's a a story that seems to repeat itself um and did it take a year to then have that sleep test then which if i if i'm not wrong well uh, uh, longer than that because uh when i was actually when i finally was diagnosed was um relatively early on in covid so Uh, actually you know having the physical test so a lot of the evaluation originally was done um over the phone Mm -hmm. and then uh once they once they sort of started testing people again i went uh in fact it was rdne royal devon and exeter where they've got the sleep clinic yeah how is it the the test and do, could you describe it because i've always wondered how do they test your sleep well you um i mean there's you can have it done in the hospital but also you can be given the kit to to take home um, and um you know you, you're given instructions uh, you know i had the preference to do it at home you have instructions on on how to um attach the equipment and it's it's measuring your your brain activity mm-hmm so is it something that, that you wear? Is it? Yes, it's sort of um, sensors that attach, um, that are connected to a machine that then monitor the activity. Okay. And do you just have to do it for one night or is it for several nights? Yeah, um, well, you can, you can do it just in one night. Um, sometimes they need to do it over longer if they're not picking up what they're expecting to see. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yes, it's generally sort of like a, an overnight thing. Okay. And then from that, they they realized that you didn't have all the restful sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So do you still need as much uh, coffee now, or is that the, the medication doing the work it should be doing? Um, no, I've cut back on my caffeine hugely. Um, I mean, I used to drink sort of six, seven cups of coffee a day. Yeah. Um, now I tend to just have one in the morning, but I do I do supplement caffeine through diet coke um okay. and things like that but uh no, i'd say i'm i'd say i'll probably i'm less than my consumption's less than half what it used to be previously mm-hmm. so uh and i did manage i did cut out caffeine totally for a while just to sort of um as part of the part of the testing i had to try that um but also i find that it's you know if i'm if i don't drink caffeine i'm not uh, it doesn't have as much impact as it used to 
uh, if you don't drink caffeine, it doesn't have as much. Uh, okay, so yeah, the medication is kind of doing its job. Yeah, and, yeah, you don't need to uh, drink. Yeah, so so I don't. I no longer have what I I term as being a dependency on caffeine. Yeah. Uh, whereas before, you know, I definitely did, and and I also had the sort of um, really bad headaches if I didn't if I didn't have caffeine. Whereas okay. now, because I've got it at a more sort of like reasonable level, it doesn't have uh, such an impact if I'm if I don't have caffeine. Okay, that's a good point. Actually, is there any other impact in like from a brain point of view from narcolepsy? Um, I I suppose it's sort of uh, I mean I think everybody's familiar with the term brain fog when mm -hmm. you can't think clearly. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to work at, at quite a high rate, but if, if I sort of, if I do a really long day, then the brain fog, you know, and, and that's sort of like not really being able to think clearly, mm -hmm. uh, becomes more of a problem. So I think it's sort of, um, the same as anybody, if they got excessively tired would feel, yeah. but it just happens that much quicker for me than, uh, than normal people. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't have affect you in terms of being able to do sports or, or things like that. No, but I, I would say that certainly more recently it has it has sort of reduced my social life because uh, because the because of the hours that I'm working, mm -hmm. then sort of you've got less energy left over for for anything outside of work. Mm -hmm. So so I think sort of that that has had a bit of an effect, but uh, I wouldn't say that I'm I was particularly a sporty person anyway, and um, I tend to get my exercise in earlier in the day. Uh, okay. So so that's another thing. I um, When I was trying to get fitter, I, I used to go to the gym after work, mm -hmm. and that just I just couldn't do it. Whereas first yeah, thing okay. in the morning, that works really well, and that gives me more energy for the day. Yeah. We've had people on the podcast who've been talking about managing their energy level. And for example, if they know that they're going to be doing, um, I don't know, like going out, like they know that either they need to have a quieter day or that it might impact them the, the next day. Is that something that you're conscious of? I'm more conscious of it from work than my social life. Okay. But probably because... Um, because I've got a relatively quiet social life. I think that's sort of one, one of the ways that I've, I've managed with things, not trying to mm -hmm. fit too much in. Yeah. So in a way it's kind of affecting your energy levels and yeah, and yeah you, you have to cut back on, on social life in a way. Yes. And yeah. uh, you know, in my previous job um, I did have more energy because I was, I was working shorter hours. But, you know, that's that's the downside when you've got a job that you really love and mm -hmm. you're invested in, you yeah. want to put your energy into that. And I just have to sort of be aware of that and and not not burn the candle at both ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Well, like everyone else, I, I assume that yeah. you can't be working long hours and then be going out all the time. Yeah. Well, Liz, uh, I mean, I've I've always been interested in, in narcolepsy. I think you've made me realize that it's not something that, uh, like, it's not just the extreme, which you've said people probably picture. Uh, 
Well, yeah, it's been really interesting. Uh, I just have one last question for you. Uh, what's your happy place, a place where you feel at peace? In the countryside, particularly um, in sort of woods. Uh, I love the countryside and I live mm -hmm. in the middle of Devon. So I get to go to my happy place every day, either out walking the dog or, or even out in the garden, but definitely being outside, being with nature. Yeah, that's lovely. And Devon is a lovely part of England. You're lucky. Um, well, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, it's been really interesting and hopefully it makes people more aware of what narcolepsy is. Um, well, yeah, thanks a lot for coming. Thank you.